You're listening to the Brooke Snow Podcast, conversations to help you look forward with faith, faith in yourself, faith in God, and faith in your own mission and purpose. I'm your host, Brooke Snow. You have episode 57, The Mind of the World. You've likely heard the phrase, live in the world, but not of the world, several times. What does that mean to you? Today, we're going to dive into this topic as it relates to the literal connection we have to the world in the palm of our hand. Our phones, tablets, and devices. Access to the world has never been easier or more prevalent than it is today. If you've ever felt the effects of a little too much connection and desired to reassess your relationship to that connection, then you'll love today's episode. I'm sharing with you the paradigm shift that dramatically changed my own experience and made it easier for me to place some healthy boundaries that have made my life so much happier. If you enjoy this podcast, I know you would love my book, Living in Your True Identity. It's available on Amazon and filled with 21 tools to help you live life as the best version of yourself. Thank you to all of you who have left a review for this podcast or have taken the time to share it with a friend. As you know, I am not active on social media. This is a deliberate choice that helps me have the clarity and the focus to make this podcast the best that it can be. So the only way this podcast grows is by word of mouth. It's by you. Thank you for taking the time to share this with your friends and support this effort. I love you for it. Today's review of the week comes from Colette Johnston. She says, I love self-improvement books and podcasts and am beyond thrilled to have found Brooke Snow. Her book and her meditation course have been impacting my life in a huge way for good. The way she explains things makes them feel very simple and doable and has helped me implement daily practices into my life that I know will have a compound effect. Colette, thank you so much for the review. I'm thrilled to know that the book and the meditation course have been so impactful for you. And thank you for reminding us about the compound effect. If you're new to this podcast, I talk about the compound effect in episode one and many other episodes. This is how small and simple things, great things are brought to pass. As we make efforts to change and implement even tiny things in our life, as we do it consistently, it compounds into something amazing. Today's topic is most certainly an area where tiny changes can wield something great. And it's also an area that we often think about as being all or none your connection to the mind of the world. I want to take this opportunity before we get into the topic to invite you to think of just one tiny way as you listen that you could change things up in your own experience with the mind of the world. Usually I teach a tool or a habit with each episode, but I'm not going to do that today. Instead, I invite you to ponder on your own how the compound effect could play into this part of your life as well. Thank you, Colette, for bringing this wonderful principle to our attention. If you want to be the reviewer of the week, please leave me a five-star review in iTunes and share your favorite takeaway so far. Your ratings and your reviews and your shares, this is what makes this podcast possible. So thank you for listening and for sharing. So I was kind of a weird kid growing up and I blame a lot of that on my parents. If there was any person that was absolutely illiterate to all things pop culture, it would have been me. One day in grade school, my aunt showed up at our house with a free Nintendo. Me and my brother and my sister, we were absolutely thrilled. (laughs) We had friends who had gaming systems, but we did not. 
Now, the real story behind this free gift was that my uncle was spending so much time playing video games. She got so fed up, she packed it up and brought it over to our house. She'd realized that moderation was not going to happen in their family. So she vowed she would pass the problem onto us instead. <laughs> and boy, did she. We were so thrilled to have a gaming system that we spent hours, hours playing and basically forgot about the real world. That lasted a total of three days. At that point, my mom packed up the Nintendo and we never saw it again. So I was always the kid that didn't have any experience with video games, popular music, TV, or any other pop culture. In fifth grade, my dad bet each kid in our family that we couldn't go a year without TV. If we could, he promised that he would pay us each $100. We so fell for his challenge. <laughs> the TV got unplugged and we went a year and we collected our $100. And by that point, our life was functioning just fine without TV and we felt rich. We had $100. So we kept renewing the bet every year. Now these experiences combined with a few other family quirks truly contributed to my social awkwardness of always being the kid who didn't know the popular song or didn't know what shows were cool or didn't know what celebrities were cool. And instead, I spent my time reading books and practicing the piano. I grew up in many ways shielded from the mind of the world, simply because my parents didn't have tolerance for us wasting time when we could be improving our mind or cultivating talents. As a child of the 90s, I remember going to my cousin's birthday party and every gift that she got that year had something to do with new kids on the block. Are you old enough to remember that boy band? <laughs> she got new kids bed sheets and new kids posters and new kids cassette tapes. And after the obvious theme of her presence was apparent, I leaned over to another girl at the party and I said, um, what is new kids? <laughs> She looked at me like I was an alien from outer space. You don't know what new kids are? She said this in a mixture of astonishment and disgust. And I just shook my head and she said, what music do you listen to? I thought for a moment, I'm like, um, Beethoven? <laughs> I said this very cheerfully. Maybe she'd be familiar, you know, with his fifth symphony, one of my favorites. She just rolled her eyes and ignored me for the rest of the party. I quickly learned how powerful pop culture can be in connecting people together. And since I didn't know what was popular in our culture, by default, I was on the outside. Now, it's funny to look back and see what an influence the media seemed to have on our lives 30 to 40 years ago and contrast it with today. What once took up a bit of time and had a large influence on our ideas and our friendships now lives in our pockets for easy, immediate access 24-7 and can completely shape our thinking and friendships to an even more remarkable level. Now, I can say that I did break out of my secluded bubble when I got to college. I eventually got a smartphone. I discovered Netflix. <laughs> And I even got to binge watch seasons of shows that I was never allowed to watch as a kid and kind of retroactively finally knew what everyone was talking about. 
10 to 20 years later. <laughs> in some ways, it was probably like getting a free Nintendo from my aunt. I totally immersed myself in the media I had missed out on and felt that if I was connected to the mind of the world, I'd be connected to people. I wouldn't be the odd one out. But the immersion comes with consequences. Aside from the obvious time it takes, my thoughts and beliefs began to change as well. I spent a lot of time comparing my life to others. I became more critical of myself and how I didn't measure up to anything. The gap between what real action I was taking in my life to develop and move forward and who I knew I could be got wider and wider. That gap caused anxiety and shame. I started to feel stuck. I still had inspirational goals, but oftentimes I'd spend all my time following other people doing great things. That there wasn't any time left in a day for me to create something great myself. I was consuming far more than I was creating. And because I wasn't creating or taking action in my own life, it seemed that I kept getting more stuck and further away from where and who I knew I could be. Have you ever felt that way in your own relationship with technology? Have you ever felt that the constant connection took up valuable time? You could be creating something in your own life, whether it's relationships or a business or Hey, even dinner. <laughs> Have you ever felt stuck in the pull of not wanting to miss out and fearing that the time away will make you the odd one out or will lead to not feeling connected to others? Have you ever felt the way your own beliefs and thoughts have been shaped by the mind of the world, even in subtle ways? So what do you do? How do you handle the balance? Does it have to be all or none? Is there such a thing as healthy moderation in this area? Can you be in the world, but not of the world if you're actually in the world all day long? Recently, I was reading the book, A Light in the Wilderness by M. Catherine Thomas. She describes how many scriptures talk about thoughts that come into your mind, suggesting, of course, that they originate from somewhere or someone outside of your mind. For example, Ezekiel 11.5 says, Thus saith the Lord, I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Ezekiel 38.10, Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And 3 Nephi 12, 29, suffer none of these things to enter into your heart. Think about that for a minute. Things coming into your mind, things coming into your heart as if they originate from somewhere else because they do. She says, we are likely not aware of thoughts entering from outside of ourselves, or that they shape our interpretations of events or other people. Now, she postulates that there is an entire body of thoughts that attached itself to the fallen world and has been circulating ever since the time of Adam and Eve. 
This body of thoughts have plagued mankind since the beginning, regardless of time, race, or circumstances, and they simply get recycled over and over. It's the same body of thoughts. It doesn't matter when you live, who you are, what your circumstances are, they're the same thoughts, just recycled. We may have thoughts of comparison and not feeling good enough, but that thought is as old as Cain and Abel. It's just recycled. We may have thoughts of feeling lonely and forgotten. We may have thoughts of unworthiness or overwhelm. We may have thoughts of frustration in our leadership as parents or coworkers or friends. Whatever it may be, those are just thoughts that are recycled. Catherine theorizes that, quote, the reason for the recycling of the same thoughts is to ensure that each person who comes to earth gets to confront in his laboratory the same elements as everyone before him. Each person gets a well-rounded exposure to them. That is to say, there is a set curriculum in order that we may each be tempted at all points, as was our Savior. This body of thoughts belongs to what we might call the world mind, which is just the natural mind at large. These mists of darkness that drift across our mental paths play mostly on our fear, which generates pride, coveting, criticism, depression, selfishness, hatred, power plays, and mental disturbance in general. These world mind thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes are aggressive. Sometimes they seem to be thinking us more than we are thinking them. Without being conscious of these thoughts as visitors to our inner space, we attach to them as though they were ours, as though they necessarily represent reality. One reason we attach to them is that as they present themselves, we unconsciously personalize them. So they seem to be a true reflection of our circumstances. Close quote. Whoa, now that's pretty deep stuff right there. <laughs> Let's unpack it. There is a body of thought we can call the world mind. And Catherine describes it as mists of darkness that cross our mental paths. Where else have you heard the description of mists of darkness before? In Lehi's vision of the tree of life, there is a straight and narrow path that leads to the tree. And mists of darkness often cross the path, blocking the view of the tree, disorienting and discouraging those trying to progress towards the tree. Until reading Catherine's description, I had never before considered the mists of darkness taking the form of thoughts from the mind of the world. Perhaps it was because I also recently read the book Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, which is a completely academic book, very different than Catherine's book, that argues the pros of reducing the influence of being constantly plugged into our screens. Or as Cal so carefully describes it, our constant connection to the mind of the world. Here are two authors from completely different backgrounds writing about seemingly different topics, totally different genres, but they both use the term mind of the world. Catherine is referring to the collective thought patterns that have recirculated and been recycled for all time that serve as opposition to truth. Cal 
is referring to thoughts and opinions of other people that we usually connect to via our screens, good and bad, inspirational and trash, light and dark, anyone else's mind other than your own. I think they're both right. And I also think both ways can be mists of darkness that block our path forward. Cal passionately presents the very real need that we have in our society for solitude. It's all but disappeared from our culture. Because of our constant connection, we find a moment of quiet or boredom. And instead of being comfortable with the solitude, we avoid it and quickly connect back to the mind of the world. This lack of solitude breeds anxiety, depression, low quality in our work, lower connections in our relationships, and discontent in our identity. Of these two descriptions of mind the world, I have more control than I previously understood in confronting myths of darkness. What I had previously thought was just an expected part of the journey to the tree of life, I now began to see as something I can influence. I can choose how much, how often, if and when and what I connect to in the mind of the world through screens. Choosing solitude over the mind of the world can in effect be equivalent to changing the weather patterns. I could literally invite more light into my life instead of believing the mists of darkness had to stay and I just had to deal with it. Actively seeking to create moments of solitude and limit, limit the inputs of the mind of the world in my life. Anyone who listens to this podcast already knows how to choose good media. You already know there's trash content and there's inspirational content and everything in between. You already have discernment to know what is worth your time. I'd like to suggest that instead of just curating all the best content, you carve out regular time for solitude, where you don't connect to the mind of the world at all and fiercely protect that sacred time as if your life depends on it. Because in reality, it does. If your phone is the first thing you check the moment that you wake up, and the last thing that you check the moment you go to bed, then when are you really not connected? While you're sleeping? Chances are even then your dreams and thoughts while sleeping will just be a continuation of the mind of the world that you were in during all your waking hours. Deep down, we all know we could cut back or readjust our time in the world. When we are called to be in the world, but not of the world, what do you think that even means? Is it possible to not be of the world if that's where we're spending all our time? The dictionary defines the word of saying, derived or coming from, originating at or from. It's where you live. It's where you originate. Where does your mind and your attention live? Does it spend more time being of the world rather than in the world? The dictionary defines the word in saying 
to position within limits. There's a precise location that has boundaries. We must live in the world within boundaries rather than of the world, indicating that the world is who we have become. It's where we originate. It's where we spend all our time and our attention. Live in the world, but not of the world. What limits and boundaries could you bring into your experience with the mind of the world? Could building in some boundaries relieve some of the mists of darkness from your life? Could it part the clouds for more sun? What would having more light in your life do for you and for your family? Could parting the mists of darkness help you hear and see with more clarity? Would the sacrifice be worth those increased blessings? Imagine your life living in the world, but not of the world, and look forward with faith. If you listen to these episodes and love what you hear and wonder where to start, I invite you to take my Christian Meditation 40-Day Challenge course. Meditation is my most important practice of the day, and I use it for so many things, including solitude and disconnecting from the mind of the world. But the key is consistency. That's why I love this is a 40-day challenge, and the challenge is to do it for 40 consecutive days. But starting a new habit and being consistent can be tricky. This is why I offer every student a free buddy pass, allowing you to handpick your own friend or family member to take the course with you. You get your own accountability partner, and you both do the challenge together. Two people start a new empowering practice instead of just one. If this is calling out to you, I invite you to register at the link in the show notes, or you can find it on my website at brooksnow.com. You can do this. I am cheering you on.